Thank you very much. All right, well, first, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, I must admit this invitation has going on for three years, so it's not something we respond to quickly. <laughs> Renee will tell you all that. But since that time, I, I have to admit the first thing when I got here, I had absolutely, I grounded all my expectations of South Africa when I got on the airplane and said, I have no idea what to expect. And it's wonderful because there's absolutely, I have learned so much and had a great opportunity to see a lot of your southwestern side. And a lot of the places I've been to um, have been absolutely fantastic. So let's talk about the student division. I came here to talk to student division with regards to getting interest at the student level at each university. So my job is to put uh, Foreign Kosi, a engineering club in every university around the world. Um, we're working on several at the current time. We just finished with the University of Arizona in Tucson. We have one at Arizona State in Phoenix, Arizona. We have um, USC, LMU. Uh, we're working in the Denver area. We have Colorado School of Mines, University of Colorado, Denver. Um, there's also another one and University of Technology there in Colorado. So those are the ones there, and then we moved to MIT and George Mason, George Washington, a lot in the Washington, D.C. area is another effort. We're looking at Italy, Rome, and now looking at uh, India, uh, China, at the Beijing Aeronautic University. Um, so you can see that um, it's beginning to grow, and a significant thing is when I started this in 2008, there were only 10 students, and today we're almost at 600. So a great element of what's going on. Student divisions wrapped around the idea that there's a value proposition for each of the major stakeholders. The center part talks about the relationships that you have in between. And what I'm going to do is show you how this has expanded into a system of systems. As every one of the contributors to this with regards to how do we get student interest, how do we keep their interest, and most importantly, how do we educate them in systems engineering so they truly can come into the business enterprise and be of value to us. We, we are trying our best to not have to retrain them, but most importantly, let's make them aware of what systems thinking is, and then we can educate them on system engineering and some of the tools that are associated with that. I'll mention later on that, in fact, uh, my colleague professionally, uh, Francois and I both teach I predominantly teach the systems in the certification program for CTI in the United States, and Francois covers most of the South and in the European theater. And we have times may bounce around back and forth, but currently that's where we're, our divisions of labor. Okay, so a student division is to lead the development and sustainment of an engineering club. Um, the big challenge here is the idea about how to sustain. The only reason you're going to reach in statement is if you can show that there's value for being involved. That's for the student and each of the stakeholders and you. And the real key to this whole thing is how you as practicing systems engineers can work with the students, not only to show them what they're doing, but most importantly show them what system thinking does for them with regards to how their projects work. All right, now... University of Pretoria just put in a program where they have a huge number of students that just came in this year. Renee, thank you very much. I'll show you the benefits of that in a few minutes. My presentation goal is to talk about what a total student division is. This is that engineering club. What do I mean by total? And we'll go through that, all right? 
So total student division is processes to integrate activities into a single operational system. Look at this whole thing as a system of systems. It is a cluster. And every element in the cluster has relationships. And every one of those, for these obviously have interdependencies. How well does it work? What makes it work? What's the trigger? A few other odds and ends. Amongst the stakeholders, the value propositions. And how to establish success factors. It's one thing to turn around and find out what's important to you. Each one of us, whether it's a personal item, whether it's a professional and educational item, or it's the fact it's just our passion as is mine. But the whole point is, if I know what a value proposition is, then I hopefully I can convert it into something I can measure so that I know, in fact, I'm going to have success if I look at it and say, is it doing well or not? If I can't reach that doing well part, then obviously we either didn't exploit or expand our value proposition well enough to determine it down into or break it down into a success metric, or we got the wrong metric. Now, I'm sure we've never measured the wrong thing before. Okay, fine. With that chuckle, we know where we're going. Okay, how are we going to support NCOSI with specific engineering challenges? And we're using engineering challenges because this is at the senior level in the undergrad and very often also the master's level. They have to do an engineering project. Some people call them capstone projects. Some people call it an engineering experience. Some call it a challenge. The bottom line is it's all the same thing. All right, it is something where somebody has to demonstrate by using the curriculum into an actual project to gain that experience. When we went in locally to some of these discussions we had after the conference, the first thing we kept hearing about, you need to teach experience. And all the professors are going, really? Like, yeah, right. Because they can't. You can't teach experience from the classroom. You've got to teach it from actually putting your hands on something and then getting your hands slapped because you got the, oh, oh this ain't going to work. So that's what we're trying to find a way to do that, and we'll show you how we're going to be doing this. Um, here's the alignment of ABET certification. This is an American term. It is Accreditation Board for Engineering and Technology. Basically what it does is it's a volunteer organization that comes in and... I won't say they're voluntary. It's voluntary that the universities ask this organization to come in and rate the quality of their program. I think I might have said that better. I don't know how that works here in the United here in South Africa because two things I found out is we have SASQA, it's the South African Quality Assurance, and you also have your engineering XR. So both of those kind of have different points about where they're going and how does that influence you and your certifications. This is targeting the quality of the program at the university. With that, there are some 17 steps that have to be done or executed by a, a student that when they graduate, the theory is they have a specific skill set. And these are the ones that they are, are listed that your graduates must be able to do these. We're going to show you some of those, as I believe in COSI can help satisfy those. All right, we're going to link the enterprise relationships with the project opportunities. And we're also going to see if we can find an opportunity for a repository for student members. The repositories, basically, some of these enterprises would have an opportunity for either, here's a project I want somebody to solve. I don't want to pay my people because they're too expensive. And the project is warranted to have a student do it. All right, so now it's kind of like a research attitude, or if you will, an effort. At the same time, there's an awful lot of hidden benefits in having this relationship. And we'll go through that in a few minutes, but it's extremely valuable. We're going to establish a student division ambassador program, and this is the individual that is in COSI 
whose passion is to connect directly to that university and that student division. He's the one who's going to advocate doing the systems thinking processes, seeing if we can find mentors for the students that are, uh, have a specific interest, be it electrical, mechanical, thermal, whatever. And also, if I have to go back to the enterprise to find out if there's opportunities for projects and things like that, the ambassador at the student division will come back to the chapter and find out, is there something that we in the chapter can do to help these students? Okay. So there's a whole lot of ambassadorship programs going on. I've started developing it, and I'll have to be quite frank. It's a little bit of a complex issue to get it written down. It's much easier to talk about it. However, <clears throat> moving on. We're also developing a website, and the value to the website is to actually find a way to actually provide a way for people to go to to find not only templates for how to do student divisions, how to find people, how to communicate between other universities, and amongst other students. So it's a, there's a wealth of information that we're trying to put together. And as you were doing LinkedIn in your chapter, we're doing the same for the student profiles. And we're using that because that LinkedIn profile goes with them wherever they go. But the value to that is I get one pro profile that I can use in the student division that the students created as members, and then they can migrate and transition without making a burden to do it again. You just have to relink it, right? Okay, your networking opportunity, again, I just showed this earlier, and it's really about establishing and maintaining value propositions and success factors. What's in it for me? From each particular stakeholder and from their specific point of view. Every enterprise, every student division is at that one university. It is unique. It has, I won't say they're special, although they are. And they'll think that they're more special, which is fine. But the bottom line is that allows you then to tailor your efforts as practicing systems engineer to what those university students need, not the ones at Purdue. There's a totally different environment, whether you're a research institute, an educational one, whether your focus is aerospace, aeronautics, electrical, if you're the ambassadors, the masters, there's all kinds of interfaces with it. Okay, a value proposition, it's a promise of value. It's a belief it's going to be delivered. And it's a common goal. What do they want? What do we want? How are we providing that? We really need to communicate. This is not something you just sit there and walk in and we're going to say start building a document. It's not what it's all about. You understand what they want. You understand how you can fulfill that particular need, whether it's a job. And I'll tell you, I was very shocked. I went to Purdue University just before coming here. Um, literally is the day before. And at Purdue University, I was taking to a bunch of PhD students. And I thought PhD students, their primary thing is I want to publish. I could not believe it. It's jobs, jobs, jobs. And I'm sitting there going, wait, whoa, time out. You're PhD students. Don't you already work? Well, no, not really. So again, Purdue is a research institute. So their points are a little bit different. But they're always in the same perspective. Where do I take my education? And whenever you get involved with one of these students, make sure you ask them, what's your passion? Don't tell me what your education focus is, whether mechanical, whatever. Why are you doing it? And keep asking them why until they finally come down to what's the real reason that they're actually there. I'm not looking for root cause analysis, but I'm going to use the same process of the five whys to drill down far enough about, is it just for money? Because you're in the wrong place. Right? Don't scare them. <laughs> but make it real, okay? So the bottom line is this really is a handshake. It's an agreement. 
It's a recognition of what's important and how am I going to satisfy this. And most importantly, how am I going to maintain it? I'll have a few success stories when we have questions later on. The engineering challenge, this is interesting. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, this is the robot. This is after the French chapter where they have a robotics competition at the, I think it's the master's level. All right, and they gave a presentation on it at the IS this year. For those who weren't there, come next year. I don't know where it's gonna be, but. We're also modeling after the FIRST organization, which is the robot competition. Are you familiar with FIRST? No? Okay. Please take a few minutes and if, how many of your parents? Well, I know two. <laughs> All right. But if you have issues where you have younger people, and younger is anywhere from high school down, uh, first is a for the inspiration recognition of science and technology. If you go to first.org, you'll find out all the opportunities. This is where the high school students are given a mission statement in January, and they have two weeks to understand it, then they have to apply for their kit. It's about $5,000 US. And then they get six weeks to build their robot, and they have a week and a half of competition. Last year, there were over 17,000 teams. So it is a well-orchestrated, for lack of a better word, it's just like chaos. Okay. Um, the final competitions are at Disney World, if I remember right. They have regional competitions. It is international. And the real value of it is they're basically given a mission statement, just sheet of paper. Here's what you got to do. Here's your constraints. You got to be able to move this thing around. And oh, by the way, can't weigh more than 120 pounds, and you're going to be beating up each other while you're trying to do what you're doing. Go have it. Have fun. And the robots thing, the really, the really interesting part is um, they turn around and they're, they're graded on the ability to produce the systems engineering artifacts. They have to produce their concept documents because, they're, again, they're given a mission statement and then they said, okay, how are you going to do it? So they have to build concept documents. They have to build the requirements. They've got to do a requirements flow down. So they're doing the analysis part. They then have to do a configuration and, uh, and integration docs. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping we didn't have more guests coming in who weren't visible. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So they have to do their docs, the whole thing, and then they do their own verification and validation. Well, that's wonderful, but then the real fun begins because they literally have to do it's built and tested by an alternate team. They have to deliver their documents and their piece parts and they're graded on how well they communicated how to put it together and how to operate it. We've all seen this in the real world, right? Our engineers aren't our builders. That's good news and bad news, right? But the bottom line, this is a process that I think has a lot of merit in how we can actually show students how to do the real world that we expect them to do when they come to the industry. This is where you folks come in. It's really is coming in as mentoring these students how to do systems thinking how to look at the project overall, and then go through and build it. In visiting University of Colorado Boulder, their, their professors and advisors came up and they said, oh, we do that all the time. It's called design, design test. This is okay, so how much time do they have? Well, they have one quarter or semester, whatever their time period is. Good, how many times do they build it? Um, four, five. What if they only built it once? Well, I don't have time to only build it once, really. <laughs> Let me tell you about systems thinking, 
how to think about the total system, where are the impacts, where's the interdependencies, where's the cross domains, and they're all looking at me like, hey, that's pretty interesting. So a lot of students really don't know what it's all about. They kind of like arbitrarily do a little bit of it, but they don't understand the magnitude if they really focus on it early and build their entire program and product builds once. They save themselves a tremendous amount of time. Anyway, this is really what the whole thing is all about, developing this, this competition. And the value to the competition is, as I was saying, primarily driven around the idea, systems thinking, design a project, give it to somebody else. But you're graded on what they do. Especially if you talk about things that are autonomous. Last year, the robot from AFES uh, was basically a bartender. A gentleman or an individual would walk up, give the uh, robot a coupon, and the robot would have to recognize the coupon, which meant I know where that item is and I have to go get it. Sounds fairly simple until you start putting obstacles in the way. <laughs> then you have to negotiate the obstacles while you're in your process of going to get that one specific item. So don't bring back the wrong thing. Okay. As I mentioned, the ABET certification, this is a brief list. <clears throat> I did not, you'll notice they're not alphabetical in order. And the reason being is because the entire list I didn't want to capture. I just captured what I think in COSI would be helpful. If we applied systems thinking, the students would get this engineering problems, require principles of applied processes and procedures and methodologies. Not all the schools teach this. How to get inter experiments to apply experimental results to improve the process. Ability to design system components, process broadly defined engineering technologies, team leadership, team activities, analyze and solve broad defined, broadly defined system engineering technology problems. One of the things we were talking about was trying to do an initial idea of, a, of the competition similar to the robot that AFIS did because we have to do it economically, it can't be overly expensive, and it has to be done in no more than two quarters or two semesters depending on how your university is structured. So you don't have a lot of time to get it done. And we have a real issue with time zones. Your school zones here in this country are not the same as America, which aren't the same as Europe, which definitely aren't the same in Asia. Right? So we have to work on this, how to, how to put this all together. So this is what it's all about. And one of the things we're really pushing on is can we use a systems engineering handbook as the reference to teach systems thinking? Okay. With that, this was my major challenge. I wanted to come here and find out what University of Pretoria did because they, in fact, did this. And we had a chance to meet at the conference very briefly, but we did not have a chance to actually go into the details of how they did this. The reason being is I'm taking this to England next week as to try to find out how did you actually go about doing this. So I hope to meet with him. I don't think I will, but maybe we'll have some discussions, you know, post-event but at least we'll have some time. One of the things that we did do is we started talking about how to build a student division. Now, we talked about how we have a system of systems, all right? And some of these are very simple, and some of them are going to obviously be more complex, as we always find in SOS. Where's the boundaries? Who's the owners? Where's the requirements? You know, how fast does it change? I mean, there's a whole lot of issues with what an SOS is. And the fact that we have different life cycles, right? Students come and go different time periods, different interest levels, but all of them can become members, either across membership, either as individuals or as CAB members to NCOSI. And at the university level, if you become a CAB member, you're also automatically part of the engineering council, or the, <laughs> the academic council, excuse me. Okay. 
if at the enterprise level I become a cab member then in, in to Encosi, then obviously there's a way that I can help steer Encosi into how to do things that I need in the future. Where's my trends? Universities, can, they can work on what the academic trends are. Students are obviously just members. That's really all they are, either of the university or they can join Encosi. If they do, they're not obviously joining the enterprises yet. Okay, so... How do we get certification? Well, that's defined either by ABIT or SASQA, the South African Quality Assurance, as defining what the curriculum requirements are for each of the students in their particular chosen disciplines, right? Being mechanical, electrical. What's really I find interesting is how we got the engineering, the engineering council in South Africa and how that works with this and how where the SASQA is and the FET and a few others. I may not have them all in the right order, but they're in there. Okay, so then the next question is, if the students decide that they want to get a student division going, and the value to that is, I get to now work with practicing system engineers. This is the real benefit for the students doing it. It's usually the only benefit for doing it. I need to include, expand my mentoring roles. I need to get my mentors. I need to answer questions. How do I do that? That's what this link is here and I have to be sponsored by a local chapter. But to do that, I have to have a governances that are expanded by the university and by NCOSI. So NCOSI says in order to be a student division, you have to have the officers, you have to have an advisor, and you have to have a member of the local chapter, all have to be a part of your executive team. Those are minimums. Then you can expand on that based on what the desires are for the student division, what their objectives and goals are. This is where you folks come in as mentors working with these students and establishing not only the relationship with the university, many of our chapter members are alumni of a particular university, so they have a personal interest in maintaining relationships with the university. When talking with um, Armsco, the biggest thing that they kept talking about is the relationship across here. I need to know that the industry is defining the goals for the curriculum and it's being developed by the academic meters, whatever that council is. Very often these enterprises are on the academic board in that particular discipline to help steer where that education is going based on future demands. Okay. Sorry, Dave, can I make just a comment on that? Please. And that's the perception of mine, that the people that are normally on that Advisory boards mm -hmm. are far too high up the food chain to understand the value and the need for good systems engineering education. Okay, you can go with that. <clears throat> and part of me turns around and says that's both good news and bad news, because the good news is is the university is going to listen to that person because they are high up on the food chain. Okay. The drawback is, you're absolutely right, am I getting the right level of exposure, if you will, interaction between those practicing engineers and the curriculum, right? That's where we're finding the push upward. The real challenge that we're finding is don't ever, as an ambassador, go to a university and tell them how you're going to help them do their curriculum better. There's the door. Thank you very much. Don't let it hit you in the butt on the way out. Excuse my terminology. What we have found, as I, did, as I found out with Armsco, it's a much easier thing. You go and tell me what your problem is. And then let me see if I can help with you to help you resolve your problem. 
And in the case of Armsco, it was like, I need disciplined systems engineers as part of the acquisition program. Pretty straightforward. It's exactly what we do. What's wrong? What's wrong is we're either not educating them, we're not giving the experience with them, or they're not coming in at a high enough experience base before they actually come into Armsco. Okay, so there's three points that we can all address. Either we're not educating them, we got given the experience that they need so that they know where the school of Hyde Knox is, or they're not going out and getting enough experience at the enterprise level first before they try to get into Armsco, or Armsco's misdefining what their needs are. So any one of those three could be a key to making a successful process, right? Okay, let's continue on. So that's the student division. <clears throat> so we talked about the engineering challenge. It could be an engineering experience, it could be a capstone project, an engineering challenge, all the same thing. This is the experience in education. This is why the motto for the student division is to extend education beyond a classroom. We want to get the curriculum to work with the project, not anyone in competition with each other. So these are complementary. So if we have this engineering council, what the whole idea is, is to have a systems engineering process to define what that challenge is, how to use those processes and systems thinking as well as systems engineering from a tool set and or from a concept for life cycles. How we can take the advisory board and the curriculum into this challenge. How do you use your particular curriculum when you're doing this particular project? Is it mechanical, electrical, array, all of the above? Well, obviously we get students to participate, but we also take the engineering practitioners and we pull those in as mentors. And this is predominantly where your folks come into play in making this loop work. Without the students seeing the value for that being there and without you seeing value for being there, nobody's going to think this is going to work. Okay? It really does have several of the universities turned around and said the biggest thing that I want to see is I want to actually see that practicing system engineer come to my university at least once a month and talk to me, the student set. Sometimes that's not easy to do because of geography, you know, commuting, and everything else. So a lot of universities have VTCs or televideo conferencing, or now we have Global Meet. You know, those are all valuable tools to make it happen without actually physically being there as a whole group. But if your student ambassador is close enough, I would strongly advise him to be there so that afterwards you can actually sit there and have dialogue with the students. That's when they see it a value. That's when they're asking those questions that normally you don't get them to, to really verbalize clearly. So that's where we're going. Okay. And we're talking about how we're going to use the ENCOSI handbook to do systems thinking and how to complement the existing curriculum so that we can complement it with the students and at the same time provide them with the opportunity for getting certified back into ASAP certification. The value to this is now we have a common language for students when they come into the industry because now we're pushing for the industry to make it a, recommended, a recommendation on procurements. So if the industry doesn't think it's a value, nobody else is either, right? So we've started developing this whole thing with student divisions, with doing certifications. The biggest challenge we have here is from a student perspective, reading that handbook and understanding what it really says are two different things. You can turn around and give that handbook to somebody, and I'll guarantee you they're going to get to about chapter 4.2 and go, huh? And they're going to put it down, and you're going to see them again. So this is the risk we have, even with the University of Pretoria. How do you actually get the students to use that book? How does it get applied? And who's helping them to read it so that they don't waste a lot of time? 
Because if they start burning time and seeing no value for doing it, I'll, they'll, they'll drop it. Okay? And then you'll never see them again. And that's not what we're after. Okay, the next one is, well, we talked about repositories of different industries and enterprises establish either internships or projects and making a repository to those so that they then feed into the university itself. Now, this says then the INCOSI will go to the university, to their career centers, and post opportunities. We are not after anything unique. We can't, unfortunately, we can't because of legalities and everything else. We can only suggest that in the write-up for that project or that internship, it's required to be done by a student who's doing systems thinking or systems engineering. It doesn't say he's not a mechanical engineer. If he has an ASAP certification or if he's doing system engineering process, then that meets the criteria. What it does is it closes, it closes this internship down to students who really have no interest in doing anything like that at all. I want the enterprises to know that the opportunity that they have is being filled by somebody who can think the way they want to do it. That they can actually go solve the project that they're doing. That's the way you're going to do this loop. Okay, so this is kind of like an SOS for the student division. When I came here, this was my presentation and I would say, thank you very much, do we have any questions? Then I got here and oh my goodness, has this just expanded from well beyond what I had thought. The first thing I saw was this number right here. And this is the one where South Africa has 128 students that joined in the first six months of this year. We are now up to nearly 600 students. So this was fantastic. My concern is they're going to stay active members. Because if you don't keep them interested, if you don't keep them with what their value statements is, and if you don't keep it maintained, you're going to lose them. So it's a challenge to what we have here in South Africa. We have things that are working now, so it's really interesting because we've had a lot of great discussions. The unfortunate thing is, and I'll show you in a few minutes, how SOS got bigger. Okay, so the activities that I have to work on now is what's this engineering challenge? I want to work with enterprises and local chapter uh, resources uh, members to actually identify what's best for them. And I think in South Africa, it may be best to do an engineering challenge unique to South Africa, of the universities that are in your area. The reason I say that is because it will, fit, it will be tailored to your educational program and your educational timeline. I don't think you should be in competition with India, or more specifically with Asia. They're totally different cultures. This one's a little bit different in itself, but yeah, okay. So anyway, this is what I want to work on. Uh, I'm hoping to get this restarted within the next couple of months, and I'll say months because there's other obligations we all have. But I think that by doing this and wrapping it into what is the SOS that's been expanded, um, you'll see where it all fits and why it's going to take a little bit of time. We've got to do this project pool. We're still working on that one as well as the internship pool. The website development, we think we finally got a lead into how to build this up and get it active. So this is going to be a good thing. We're going to be using either Twitter, Tweet, I don't tweet, but, okay, so we got Tweet, you got Facebook, and you got LinkedIn. So we're going to use the LinkedIn profiles, and the value for Facebook is if students have a question, they can go on Facebook, pop up the question, and wait. Because these questions can be answered from any, but any expert around the world. And I don't want to have to worry about phone calls. I don't want to have to worry about emails, because they may not know who to contact. But if they go up on Facebook that's buried within the student division website, then they can find somebody they know is going to answer that from a systems engineering perspective. 
That's what we're that's what we're trying to find to put together. Okay. Any questions, comments? I guess I'll keep going. All right. So <clears throat> we had the conference, and I can't remember the name of it. The conference we had Wednesday. The summit. SE Training Summit, excuse me. Then we also visit with CSAR, AMSCO, Donnell, and in the result of this in the council meeting, these are the people I've talked with other than the in a council meeting. So we talked to Dr. Dutart, Dort, yes, Dong Babes. Um, Principal Lee, we talked to Lawrence, and that may be spelled wrong. Did I get it right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, I may have misspelled it, okay? Nobody gave me the sign-in list. Okay, so we then uh, talked to Armsco, Donnell, and we obviously we had uh, System Engineering Council. This is a, a big contribution to this whole thing as it's going to pull together. And what? Forget that slide. Anyway, <laughs> this is what it's turned into. So you've just been through this mess, this SOS, and this is, does not stand for Save Our Souls. But we started talking, when we started talking with, with Armsco, the big question was, what standards are we using? How many of them do we have to use? Can we tailor them to the industry? Because I don't want to arbitrarily take every standard that there is and mandate it on a unit standard that's going to be folded up through Esqual. This is the engineering technology quality and the South African quality. They're two different bodies <coughs> because I understand there's two different levels of education in here. Like one's a major university and the other ones are just technical universities, but they don't have PhD programs or something to that effect. They, in turn, will feed the results over the Education Council, will theoretically will put a mandate on the universities of what the curriculum is. The value for that curriculum, then, is it feeds in through the curriculum to the student so that he, when he joins into the industry, government, or into CSAR, would then have a link to where he goes out into after three to five years to get his engineering certificate. The value to this is now we take the results of this and how well the performance worked and how much time did they need, what type of education did they have, their experience base, and feed that back into the thing, and now you have an educational loop. The value to this is this is going to be controlled by a body of representatives from each of the community to, find, to collaboratively find out what it is we're trying to accomplish and how to do it. And then you're going to try to find a sole owner of this whole process. We suggest right now... We is me suggesting that the council, the CSIR, be part of that ownership because from what I understand, they're the most ones that are independent or, if you will, less politically connected to everything. So they would be an owner. Now, who that owner is, I don't know yet. We haven't gotten to that point. But the whole issue is now government is making a mandate into what that curriculum education is and how to use this engineering experience. This was the key role that when we presented this to David at Armsco and also at Donnell, we worked with Sheehan, Cheyenne and his lead, his manager, uh, Koch. thank you, yes. Um, they, Koch hit this one, both of them hit this one very hard. Yes, I want that experience base to be somewhat systems thinking. I don't care how detailed it is. Give them something when they come to me. I'm not starting from scratch. Okay? That's what they were after. That's what's going to make this work. And then we start talking about how you're going to pay for it. All right? Well, the value is, is that I guess every enterprise within South Africa contributes to CETA 
Sita now has a pot of money. That pot can be pulled back through the through the enterprise and projects forms to be executed by a student, and then hence you got an engineering challenge. Now you have a mechanism for making this whole thing happen. This is the process we're looking at, and how is it going to fit? And the real key to this whole thing is we now have government and CSAR embedded in the enterprise zone point. So now we're including both research and government along with all your enterprise. All right, all of them will contribute. And that's why what's really going to be the challenge is this body of representatives collaborating on what they're trying to do with this whole thing and how they're going to pay for it, how they're going to monitor it from a business perspective, and who owns it. All right, that will be the, probably the biggest challenge. I think the benefit to that is, as we're going through and preparing for a conference next year with EMA, what we're really looking at is how much of this is going to fold back around in supporting that conference. We had a lot of good discussion with CSAR with Darte, right? He is very heavy into it, okay? Um, Lawrence, remember his last name? Thank you very much. I'll never pronounce it right. Okay, and Graham, Bram, all right? All three of those are very much involved in that, and I think Bram's working on a competency uh, metric for systems engineering competency. How do we measure it? What is it? How do I know this individual is prepared to go from an introductory to a supervised to unsupervised systems engineer? And at what level in the program? Is he at a component? Is he at a subsystem, a system, or is he at the responsible of the entire enterprise? That competency model is being, if you will, matured currently, but it's being, templates are being provided by MITRE, as one has one company, the United Kingdom, UK has one, and also Incosi has one that we can also use for doing that. So those capabilities are going to be very valuable in how to set up a program that can be used. Whether that feeds all the way back around, I don't know. But at least we get the introductory part. Sir. Are you using the Carnegie Mellon models at all, the competency models? I believe that something is being looked at. And the reason being is the Carnegie Mellon, um, the real value to that is it's, it's been in place for a while. It's been matured. All right, so yes, it is an opportunity that we're looking at. We're also looking from the standpoint, as we mentioned earlier, CBOC. Um, the CBOC, the System Engineering Body of Knowledge, as well as the um, Gracie are being used to, to say, here are expectations in the beginning. Here's what you want to accomplish. Here's the expectations coming out. All that's well-defined in Gracie from a guidelines. Again, you cannot tell the university what they have to do, but you can give them some support in what they can do. All right? And it's a very good tool. But good question. Speaking of which, are there any other questions? You had one the other night, too, if I remember right. You just kept going. <laughs> Go ahead. Sir. We've made headway already. <laughs> Thank you. I'm trying. I'm trying to, to place myself in the shoes of the student. Okay. And you made the valid comment about this, this handbook. And this handbook is about three, two hundred and fifty, four hundred pages. Yes. The students can read the handbook, and as you rightly say, it's going to get to paragraph four point two. What? It's going to kind of put it down. Right. And at the same time, the guys at Denal said, "Just give me somebody that has at least." something. Because if he's got something, I've got a handle that I can pack new stuff onto. Okay. What would Incosi's interest be in creating an S set? A what? Say, a student certification in engineering. A 
So instead of saying you're going to study and pass a 400-page textbook, okay. you're going to get 20 pages process layouts, and we're going to test you on them. And if you pass them, simple. You can study it in six hours one evening. You can work with your project. You can wrap your head around it, and you're going to write some test, and you're going to get an essay. I, I think there may be merit in the thought. I think that the Encosi is trying, it's right now they're in the process of reviewing the 15288, and they're also in the process of reviewing the handbook itself. A couple of things they're after is, is the 15208 current, right? Have things changed? Should they be better spelled out in many cases? The handbook has not been fully matured. In many cases, you'll actually, as you're going through it, you know, you'll start reading some chapters are, you know, 15, 25 pages long, and some are three, right? All right. So the question is, why are there only three? And the answer is because we have not taken the expertise and found a way to put guidance in from a procedural point because the handbook is a guide. It's an elaboration, okay? The challenge is from an academic community, they want to turn around and say, give me a handbook that's got some solidity to it that I can hang a hat on. And right now the handbook's kind of a question mark because, of, because business, or if you will, I'm sorry, life cycle processes are very important. Understanding the processes within the life cycle is important. What is missing is a guide that says, here's an example of a project that we're going to use and we're going to walk it all the way through. So when I start talking about tailoring, I'm going to show you how to actually do a tailoring, not just say, well, here's a whole bunch of verbiage on how to look for a level of effort on a complexity versus non-complexity, right? So that's where we're trying to find out, can, is there means to amplify the existing handbook to make it a little more solid so people can say, okay, this certification really is a value because I learned a lot from it. Because right now, if you want to learn a process, that's fine. If you want to turn how that process tags to the next process and to the next one, that's fine. But how does it all tie with a V diagram? There are challenges to this. And when you're teaching this, I get this whole question all again. Where are we in a V diagram? And I have to come back and say, okay, what stage are we at? And they say, well, we're up here. And I says, well, that depends. Well, where's your system of interest? If you're responsible for that whole entire process, you have to cover the entire V. And it's the top level V. If you've got your level of systems is four levels down because that's where your responsibility is, well, now your V restarts, right? The challenge is you've got less time to do all that activity. So, wait a minute. That means I better tailor this thing because I'm going to get buried if I don't. But I have to use the same process steps because every one of them contribute value to the whole thing being done and executed correctly and on time. Or shall we say efficiently, which is also another wonderful word. And a lot of them keep turning around and asking that, well, where are we? And then we turn around and we pull up some of our things about have you validated or verified the requirements above you? So where's the loop back up to make sure you got the right requirements set? I mean, if you're handed down a set of requirements and you're going to go, well, I'm going to believe these and keep going, my first question is, really? Do you believe everything you've read? And don't tell me it's on the Internet so it's truth, Right? Okay, so these are the things we're trying to teach the students, and at the same time, try to do that with students who are just reading a book. Doesn't work. He's going to get to about page 4.2 or section 4.2 and go, what the hell did I just learn? Excuse my language. <laughs> so, yes, absolutely. 
And that's why we're, we're beginning again going back to the handbook and saying, do you show me how to do what is in the handbook? And how does this relate to the curriculum that I'm learning? So that when I go to the enterprise, I don't only have a common language, I truly understand what I'm supposed to be doing. Now granted, I may not have all the school of hard knocks, but one engineering project is a great experience base if you have to be shown how to integrate your particular domain science with all the other educational domains. And if you can't do that, we're going to have a big problem when you step into the enterprise. Which one? The diagram? Oh, yeah, you can make any comment you want. <laughs> Absolutely, it's not complete. <laughs> there is more to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm going to let you help me. The big problem that we have in South Africa is the quality of the feedstock. The feedstock? As we get into university. I'm sorry, what's a feedstock? Feedstock, the source. The source of what? Quality of students. Oh, oh, okay. Thank you. Plus, then I go, feedstock? Okay. All right, so yeah, there's a, you're asking the question of how do I know this particular one is suitable to enter this particular college? Not my problem. I'm sorry, not my problem. Now, if South Africa has a problem, I would first suggest go back and look at FIRST. FIRST is, is done at the high school and, and even lower levels with Lego leagues and everything else, and they're all doing the same thing. Here's your mission statement, and here's your parts. <laughs> See you in a few weeks. And the nice thing about the Lego Leagues is it's very inexpensive. And you get teams of not more than six because they want everybody to participate. And it's very interesting. They're using all the, the little Lego pieces and they're making robots. And they have to go along a certain path around a corner and do something. So they have to think about how it happened, what to do. We've had other, and I don't know how you folks are arranged here for museums and tech, you know, tech museums and things like that. I don't know if you have them, but we do in the United States. And... I'm not even trying not to bring my Western culture here, <clears throat> but maybe there's an opportunity here. Um, we have what we call an engineering challenge, or Young Minds at Work, and what they do is these, uh, these museums that have displayed technical products to help children start thinking about how to do things, they'll have a competition that they have for these lower grades that are very inexpensive, and last year, the one I helped judge, the students had to deliver... A pet, to pretend they're a, a, lunar rover, a lunar rover on Mars and they had to deliver an instrument package across a ravine to the other side. And then they turned around and they said, oh, by the way, this thing's got different shapes and forms. So they made this huge styrofoam. I'll have pictures of it somewhere. But they had a sandbox on a flat plane, kind of about maybe half a meter in diameter. Then they had another surface that had a flat with a brick wall on the back, so you could bounce it off and land it on the top. Then they had one that was completely angled. And the objective that the students had to do is put your package onto the other platform, and you have the minimum amount of time and least amount of challenges is wins. And everybody wanted to win. And they had all kinds of good rewards. The package contained an egg, a raw egg. So the students had to get it over, launch it, to get it to the other side. Well, how do you launch it? You can't fly it, and you can't just arbitrarily put it there. You had to throw it. And the challenge was is that when you finished landing it on the pad, you had to demonstrate it to me that the egg didn't break. <coughs> now, first time it happened for our particular team, they got one on the target, and we thought, great. So after your time is up, 
and you've launched 16 of them and you only got one on the target, show me that one did not break. So the lady unwrapped her little package and she pulled out the egg that was in a plastic bag and she just, just squeezed it. And it came out everywhere on all of her colleagues. So all the Dow students had egg literally running all over the place. All you wanted to do was just crack it so I could see the membrane work. That's all you had to do. And obviously, evidently, this happened before because the, immediately the staff come running out with little sprayers to clean them up and everything's fine. So, yes, there's a lot missing from here. I don't think it's right for me to try to tell the university how to judge. The question, and I think you're very good, how do I make sure that they have the expertise they need to get into that school? Only thing I could say is you have to go down to your lower grade levels and or use another way to give them experience. That's all I can say. Other than that, as parents, good luck, congratulations, and I wish you the best. I think the problem is touching on is, is the huge opportunity because uh, there's, there's a thing called the young science expert. Yes. So it's, it's geared as science that's a broad spectrum, mm -hmm. but it's not taking a, a sort of solution perspective um, on it. And, and that type of thinking is something that, that, that one could really consider. Absolutely. The biggest thing we kept hearing from discussions at CSIR Danell, and even Armsco. The biggest question is, is I, it's very frustrating when students come in and the first thing you do is they can't define the problem. Ex they expect to be given the problem that says, here's what you need to do. They don't, they're not taught to think, what is the problem? So I know where even where I can think we could go. I heard that over and again when we were here in the last few days. So your point's well made. There are opportunities. The question is, how do we make that happen? All right. And I think the other thing is, as ambassador to, uh, from the student division's perspective, also I go around and I start talking to high school students and about anybody I find time to, and unfortunately for them, they don't know me very well, and so I just keep talking. Um, several of the parts I keep talking about addressing is what's the passion. You've got to find what they really want to do, especially if you ask them, you're going to be doing for 12 hours a day. You want to do it so it's fun, not work. And they look at you like deers in a headlight. So when you go through that process and you start asking that student questions about why are you here, what do you want, what's your passion, you'll really down, you'll nail down to the root. And then you can talk about how you can help them with it. Okay. But you have to have the passion to do it. I think that the path forward we have, these are just recommendations in no specific order. Verify the proposal for this national model that is a post-high school education system I just identified. Identify and tailor the process standards for the industry, what to use, what not. And in, how does it fit into the education curriculum so that when a gentleman finishes with the education and he has a good understanding, he's walking in so that in three years he can get his certification here in South Africa. How to incorporate systems thinking at the undergrad level. This is something we're working with the universities on. I think there's a lot of interest in this that we had when we were at the um, summit. And what's the degree program at the graduate level? This is kind of like there are some existing. The question is, is there consistency across the universities? That I don't know. All right, because I don't know all your universities. Didn't get involved in all that yet. And how do we incorporate this engineering experience project? We taught about teaching communication skills across the disciplines and how the students can gain a great deal of experience, especially in project management as they're doing their project. It is not just do the technical. How much time do you have? How do you manage it? Where are your resources? What are your resources? What are your resource needs? Are you going to do the marketing and the advertising and the sales to get the funding to do the project? And oh, by the way, don't forget you got to do your curriculum too. 
So it's quite a challenge to put this whole thing together, but I think there's merit in trying to do that. Okay. Proposed timelines to develop the collaborative body by November 1. This is a challenge. This is that one. How are you going to build this entire body? Who are these representatives? Can they work, communicate completely and collaboratively in an open environment? If you don't open, you're going to, it's going to stop. Can you develop and agree on a problem statement and a resolution plan to mitigate the problem? How is it what we're going after? If I go to, back to Armsco, I want disciplined systems engineers to come into my acquisition program and know how to handle an acquisition. If you start with that as a proposition statement, that is your problem statement. The question is, how are you going to resolve that? How are you going to get that education? How are you going to get the curriculum? How are you going to get it processed through? How does the engineering committee tie into this? This is all the loop that has to be done. Develop an operations plan and agreements responsible and authorities by 15 November. These should be worked very close to each other. It's really got to be done very soon or you're going to lose this entire momentum that we've already started. The value to this is be able to present this. How do we get these interdependencies and what are the triggers between each of these organizations? So if I come back to here, what are each of these links and what are the triggers? What's in them? Define them. Define them where there's no interpretation that's not in one place. If you got more than multiple meetings, well, you obviously know it doesn't work. And then develop this timeline to achieve the approved solution. So they all agree on what the problem is, how they're going to resolve it. Then they have to establish that timeline. The hope is, is can we actually have something working so that when we have a conference in one year from now, this is presented. Okay? These are pictures of what we did when we were brainstorming with... Um, this one was with AMSCO, and we had the FET and the CETA and the SAQA, and they were trying to explain to me how this all looped around, and I got up on a board and I drew this thing, and then we just started amplifying on it. So this is kind of like where the diagram really came from. Certifications that we have, ASAP certification, your point is well made. Can I make a different type of understanding so it's not so laborious, or shall we say complex, in the learning sequence? Don't know an answer to that one right off the top of my head. We have to go back to Nkosi for that. All right, back to the car. I think it would be a different certification. Their intent was that the only difference between an ASEP and a CSEP was five years' experience. That's not necessarily fair. So your point is well made, and I'll be going back to the board on that. When I go back to England, I'll be part of that discussion. Okay, this is another one that we had with regards to where is the EMA conference? How can we put tutorials together? Where are we with this big five? You've got major five priorities, I guess, here in South Africa. What are they, and how do, can we put together a program as systems engineer, as part of this collective body, to help resolve that? As part of my wonderful opportunity here, we drove by the, the lake, the dam, that's over there, it's filled with green water, because it's got an algae explosion in it. But So you've got this big, beautiful lake with water in it, but you can't drink it, right? How do you resolve that? Well, everything needs water, right? <clears throat> so it's an example. What about national? Uh, you've got a health issues. We talked with uh, CSIR. Their biggest issue was can we put together something that includes health and the health across South Africa with regards to um, low income? I guess I don't want to say poverty, but low income. You got different cultures. You got different um, hospitalization processes, I guess. So all these health issues come into play and that's only one link that you can go through. What about natural sciences? And I mentioned the lake, but there's also a few other natural elements that can be dealt with. 
And then there's obviously the things about how do I get systems engineering as a body of knowledge and get it advocated. Again, can I do tutorials in an introductory form as well as detailed tutorials so when people have a little bit more information, like I want to learn model-based systems engineering, we can give a one-day tutorial on it. If you want to do a, a teaching of specific engineering tools, because tool technology is coming up very quickly, all right, which tools technologies are of interest and can we actually teach that in our conference? And by the way, as you may hear, I'm yet keep using the weave term because Renee has locked me into supporting EMA. I'll go with that. Um, this is a context diagram of how to actually organize where we were going with the EMA conversations with CSIR uh, and how we got government has to be included in this whole process. Okay. We can't leave government out. I think the flip side of that is you want to hang them as tight as you can. Right? So, all right. And this was the competency model that was being in discussion. I don't want to go through all of it. But functionality as a position of where you are in a life cycle with regards to human skills, leadership, systems, and experience, and how each one of those would contribute, if you will, to a competency model. And these are the two that they were talking about. I understand there's one from Carnegie Mellon that should be added to this. I think there's also another one from Incosi that could be added as part of that conversation. Thank you very much. <clears throat> So, are there any other questions before we go? Yes, sir. Just one quick one on, on the diagrams. Um, you've spoken about insight, but you have to specifically put them there on the diagrams, so I think it would be useful to Here? That. They, they essentially the ABET as well, but they play a role as well. Who? EXA. Engineering in South Africa. No. South Africa. That's what? That's, that's what this is. Oh, is it? Yes. That's what it's supposed to be. I'm sorry. I'll say it that way. I didn't spell it. I guess I didn't spell it out completely. Okay. But yes, you're absolutely right. That feeds directly back into the university. Okay. Because I guess in your particular thing, they're now getting very, XR is getting very, um, I don't want to use the word demanding, but they're trying to put into law about becoming a certified engineer in order for you to do your work. And what we're trying to do is not only get certified in the curriculum, but add systems engineering into it. Don't leave it as an independent, nowhere thing, especially when you need it so much in, in the problems you're solving. Okay, but your point's well made. I actually think it's a block below the engineering certification. This is meant to, you know, <laughs> communication's a wonderful skill. I don't have it all. <clears throat> Working on it. This is the intent that after three to five years' experience in the enterprise, the individual can come up and say, okay, I now have it, I can apply for my certification, and I can get it. So this is, this is the feedback loop after the three to five years. The certification requirement, obviously, he knows what it is because it was taught. All right, so there, this may be a bi-directional arrow. Okay, but your point's well made. Thank you. All right, I tried to capture as much as I could with what little I know. Thank you again for allowing me to be here uh, to make this presentation, and I look forward to being part of EMA now that I'm part of EMA <laughs> and coming up to the next part. So thank you very much. Thank you, very much for and thank you for arranging all this.